You know, that's what the Christian faith is all about. It's, about. it's about trust. I mean, that is what faith is. It's taking trust from yourself and transferring it to, to someone else. As Christians, we believe that we should put our, our faith and our trust uh, in Jesus Christ. We trust him when we first believe and get baptized. We, we trust him uh, throughout our life and following his will for our life. Uh, today, I want to tell you about two folks who have... Who have uh, trusted Christ not only for their salvation and, and, and for their daily living, but also trusted him enough to follow his plan to take the gospel to the uttermost parts of the world. Uh, Chandler and Kelly Schneider are a part of our congregation. Uh, they grew, uh, Chandler grew up here. Kelly grew up here too, I believe. That's right, kind of. Uh, they grew up here in the congregation. Um, uh, both of them served the Lord faithfully while they were here. In fact, for a while, Chandler was on staff here uh, at the church uh, and then felt God's calling. They did to go overseas into foreign missions uh, or international missions. And um, uh, they are serving faithfully now in Cape Town, South Africa for the next month. The Lord him, has them here doing some paperwork. And Chandler's going to be speaking in about a couple weeks. He and I are going to kind of tag team a Sunday morning together in a couple weeks. But I want to introduce them to you today. And uh, just to make sure those of you who are new to our congregation know who you're praying for when we talk about Chandler and Kelly Schneider. So Chandler, if you and Kelly would come up for just a second. Let's welcome them. Uh, They just got back in this Wednesday. We're going to pray for them today, but we're thanking the Lord for y'all. We love y'all. Guys, good to see you. First time I've seen you since you've been back. <laughs> good to see you. Good to see you. Yeah. Uh, we're so grateful for the work y'all do. Uh, we know y'all are faithfully serving. I hear good things. God's starting to make connections with some people in Cape Town. We can't wait uh, to hear what God's doing. But the last couple of weeks, uh, the church took up a little gift for y'all uh, so that while y'all are here, it might help with some expenses and things like that. Uh, it's been in my sweaty pocket, but I think it's all right. <laughs> so uh, yeah, uh, we love y'all guys. We're praying for y'all. We're glad you're here. I can't wait to hear uh, what God's laid on your heart for us to hear. I think that's September 2nd that you're going to be sharing with us on that day. And then on the Wednesday, uh, the 5th, uh, if possible, I don't know if we work this out. We're doing this on the fly. If not possible, we'll make a Wednesday work. Chandler's, uh, I'm hoping to hear more about their specific ministry and how God is moving there locally as well. So uh, let, let's pray for them and then we'll dive into the word. Father, I thank you so much for Chandler and Kelly. I thank you, Lord, for how you blessed uh, our church by them going out and setting an example of what it means to, uh, uh, to go into all the world with the gospel. God, I pray blessings on their family. I pray blessings on their ministry. God, I do pray that you would open doors that no man could shut. I pray, Father God, that the church would uh, grow in the area that you planted them there in Cape Town. God, I thank you how you've brought rain to them and brought water to their city. I pray, Father God, that you would continue to do that. Lord, I ask, God, that you will bless them in this time of uh, of of getting home with family and getting the paperwork done that they need to do. Lord, may you open doors for them to, to quickly be in the center of your will where you've called them to be. Lord, we, we, we thank you for Chandler and Kelly and their family. We ask your blessings on them in Jesus' name. Amen. God bless y'all. God bless y'all. If you have your Bibles today, turn with me to the book of Revelation. We're going to continue in a study. Uh, that we started a few weeks ago, where we're looking at chapters 1 through 5. As you're turning there, uh, I just want you to know that I want that to be the norm for our church, 
people who feel God's call to go out into the world and to do missions. Uh, some will move, like the Snyders, or like Megan Lewis, who's serving in Europe, or uh, like Omar and Tia, who are, are getting ready to, to go to Mexico. Some will move and be relocated like that. Some will go on short-term missions, like many of our college students did this summer, uh, where, where they'll give up their summer. Or, or others will, will give up their vacation time to go and to tell people about the wonderful uh, uh, gospel of Jesus. We have some who are getting ready to go to Vietnam, some who just got back from Utah, some who are going to be going to Ohio on trip uh, to to help out a church there. Uh, We'll be taking mission trips to Mexico. Even next summer, I believe many of our choir are going to be going to Brazil uh, to to share uh, in mission there. Brazil has a special place in my heart. I had no influence on why we called Nuno, but it didn't hurt any because uh, I've been seven times to Brazil. Uh, I love the people, especially of the northeast of Brazil there, and and God has blessed my life through those trips. But I was really hesitant to go. You know, I was pastoring a church. We were in the middle of a building project. I didn't have the time to go. I had small kids. It just wasn't the right time. And there was this lady at our church. Her name was Gail Reeves. Gail's gone on to be with the Lord. But I'll never forget what Gail told me when I was thinking about going to Brazil. She said, Nick, if you see it, it will change you. If you see it, what God is doing... It will, it will change you. When I was preparing this week, I was reminded of a quote that's similar by C.K. Studd. And by the way, what a great name. You know, why couldn't my name be that cool, like Pastor Studd? But, no, you know, instead, when I go to Brazil, I've been seven times, and people in Brazil, especially in the Northeast, have a hard time saying like the hard K sound at the end of a word. So instead of like here, it's Pastor Nick. There, it's Pastor Nicky. Ever, you know, but CK stud, anyway, back to this famous quote. He says, I wish I could take every Christian and, and dangle them over the pit of hell. And this would change the way that they live their lives. You know what I wish? I wish I could take everybody in this room and let them see heaven for about 30 seconds. I believe it would change the way that they live forever. <laughs> I wish this morning that God just would tear the roof off of this place and would let us see what, 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 what He has for us and just give us a glimpse of heaven. Because truthfully, I think I'm not alone by saying sometimes I get pretty casual in my Christian walk. You know, sometimes I can just go through the motions. It's Sunday morning, and it's time to get up and get ready. Or my prayer life can become much more routine than it should be. Or or my time in the Word can be like a a checking the box because I'm the pastor and I'm supposed to read the Word instead of thinking, man, I get to spend time with God and His Word. Sometimes I can get really, really casual, and I can go through the motions. And I think sometimes I forget who He really is. And how great our, our God is. And I think if we could see heaven, it'd be kind of like that mission trip Gail told me about. If you could just see it, 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 it will change you. 
That's why passages like Revelation 4 are so important to us. Because in Revelation 4, we get this glimpse of of what heaven and and what heaven is like. And and through this, we get a clear picture of what God's really like. And, And really, that's what we're all about as a congregation, isn't it? We're trying to help people see what God is really like, that He is the sovereign creator who loves you intimately. He is the one who's over all things, and yet, yet he knows every detail of your life. He, he's the one who, who is the, the just God who is filled with wrath against those who sin, but he is also the loving God who's willing to forgive so much so that he sent his son to die on the cross. We want people to know what our great God is like because there's so many distorted views of God right now, aren't there? I mean, a lot of people, they see God kind of like a, a leprechaun, you know, you pray before the game, and then you do your cross after the touchdown because he gave you good luck. Or other people see him like a genie in the bottle, that if we can rub him just the right way, if we can, if we can go to church enough and maybe do what he wants me to give enough, then maybe I can get out of him what I really want. Other people seem like Santa Claus. They don't really believe he's going to come through, but they kind of hope he will, you know. Some people see him like a rickety old man who's just trying to get people's attention. He was powerful at one time, but now he's, he's just barely making it. Other people kind of seem like Luke Skywalker. You know, he's, he's the underdog fighting this enormous, more powerful dark side. I want to tell you, all those views are fallacious. Our God is a big, powerful, strong God. And if we could get one glimpse of him as he is, I think it would change the way that we live today. And it will change our faithfulness for our tomorrow. So today I'm going to try to, I guess, open up this chapter and give a glimpse of a little bit of what God is like. Uh, Now, I want to warn you. This is kind of longest introduction I've done in this series. But I want to warn you, your Oz meter is going to get pegged today. Okay? The imagery meter... You know, if, 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 if weird imagery kind of sets you off, you're going to get there today. Okay? Because Tin Man and Scarecrows and, and Cowardly Lions, they don't have anything, flying monkeys, nothing, on what we're going to see today in Revelation chapter 4. This type of thing that we're going to see is what keeps people from pursuing God, really, in Re- Revelation Because they can't fathom the imagery. That's not the God I understand. That's not the God I know. It seems so sci-fi. Well, I want to tell you, I believe we have permission to not try and totally understand everything that is here. One reason is because there's there's nothing on earth that can adequately describe God anyway. But I do believe that when we ignore the message of Revelation, we ignore something really precious that we need as believers to, to be faithful and to be energized. So, so, so let's dive in to the book of Revelation. Uh, so far, John has, has, has seen uh, a few things from God. And the word revelation is, is kind of God, John sees, John, it's revealed for him. Uh, in chapter 1, he sees Jesus on earth. And he's not the, the, the flowing robe, meek and mild Jesus that we think about in the Easter pageants. He is the conquering Jesus who is above all things. Swords and eyes of fire and feet of bronze, powerful Jesus in John chapter 1. 
Then in John chapter 2, Jesus gives John a picture of the church. And so John sees the churches through Jesus' eyes, not how they portray themselves, but how they really are. And so we see this, this unpacking of what the church was like at that time. And then in chapter 4 and 5 that we're going to look at this week and next, John sees God in heaven. Uh, verse 1, After this I looked, and there in heaven was an open door. After this, Jesus has just shown up. He's dictated these letters. And now John looks and he sees a a window open to the heavens or a door open to the heavens. And he hears a voice. He says, the first voice that I heard speaking to me like a trumpet said. There's there's this voice that, that speaks to him. And he says, come up here and I will show you what must take place after this. He shows him in the churches, what is taking place now. And now he, he opens up the window to the future. And he says, I want you to see what you're going to experience, but it's not only a window to the future, it's a window to the present, because this is what's going on right now in heaven. And so he, he says, says, I'm going to show you what must take place. This is the kind of the theme or the outline of the book of Revelation. In Revelation 1.19, he tells him, Therefore write what you have seen, that which is and what will take place. That which you've witnessed in the past, the one who loved us. That which is going on now, the churches. And that which is going to take place. Now in chapter 4, he starts this new section. And this is what the rest of the book is all about. What's going to happen. To this point, the church has faced hardship. They've faced persecution and threats and slander. And in all the letters to the churches, there's one common theme, and that's just hold on. Have faith in God no matter how hard it gets. And if I could tell you anything, believers, I pray that you would hold on because of your hope in heaven. No matter what happens in this life, hold on. This life is but temporary. Heaven is eternal. This life is hard. Heaven hardships are taken away. This life is filled with pain and tears. In heaven, there's no sorrow. There's no crying. And so hold on and be faithful. That's his message to the church. Well, how can you hang on? How can you be faithful? Well, you need to have a bigger vision of God. And you have to believe what to come is better. Hope starts by saying, God God is bigger than my problems and my hope is bigger than my present reality. Verse 2. Immediately, he says, I was in the Spirit. Now, some people say that he was in in an ecstatic state and he didn't know what was going on. I believe he was in his right mind. He was just in that place where the Spirit was speaking to him and leading him and talking to him. The Spirit was speaking clearly. And the first thing he sees is a throne. A throne that was set in heaven, and immediately his eye is focused on the one who's seated on that throne. Now, how do you describe God? You know, I mean, that's, that's a difficult thing to do. John sees this vision, he's to write down what he sees, and now he's trying to give a description of what he sees. And immediately he says, well, okay, he, he looked like Jasper. Well, maybe you're not familiar with what jasper looks like but it is an opaque precious stone but it always has a variety of colors there's usually some yellow almost always a little red 
They're sometimes brown. It kind of has a glass, but a cloudy glass look to it. And that's what you see when you see Jasper. And he says, I, when, when I look at the throne and I see the one who sat on him, he's, he's like this, this, this colorful something. But he's also like a cornelian stone. A cornelian stone is, is a bright reddish, ruby-like stone. Then he goes on to say, a rainbow that looked like an emerald surrounded the throne. So there's this glow surrounding the throne. So, so trying to describe the one who's set, seated on the throne, he says, well, well it's, it's, it's like a ruby. Well, well it, 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 it's multicolored. Well, well it, it, it's like this, this emerald rainbow. Uh, it, it's glass-like, but you can't say through it. Do you see what's going on here? He didn't have words to describe it. He's having a hard time putting it down. And I mean, we want to describe God in earthly terms, but let's be honest, we don't have adequate words. I mean, we, we talk about the one who's near. You know, Jesus, Jesus, he's as near as the mention of his name. Praise the Lord. But then we talk about that he's like over galaxies. You know, and that seems so much bigger than us. And we talk about he's the creator of all the world. But then we speak that he's the father who loves me tenderly. We talk about how he's my friend. But then we talk about he's our Lord. It's hard for us to describe God. How do you describe the one who made you? How do you describe the one who knows the extent of the galaxy? How do you describe the one who is completely and utterly transcendent? I mean, how do you describe him? John continues about this this one who is hard to, to, to put into words. And he says, around that throne were 24 thrones. And on the throne sat 24 elders who were dressed in white. Now one thing I'm pretty confident about this passage is that he's talking about human beings here. The word elder is never used for angelic beings. It's always used for, for human beings in the Scripture. Uh, and, and these elders were to serve and to praise God. But the question we might have is, why 24? Well, there's a couple of theories on that. One thing you're going to find about me is, anytime there's theories, you're going to find that I don't, like, say it's got to be. You know, some people say it represents uh, the, the priest in the Old Testament. Uh, in the Levitical Code, there were 24 groupings of priests who represented the thousands of priests that were in uh, uh, the 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 people of Israel, and this 24, they say, represents them. I tend to think, more like this next theory, that it represents the 12 tribes of Israel and the 12 apostles are represented. So you have the saints of old and the saints uh, uh, from the church age there uh, seated together. But either way, here's what I want us to get. See, this is where people get off in Revelation. Because right now, somebody said, well, I don't believe he's right. I'm checking out on that guy. Here's where we get off. You, you, you check out on me there, you miss the big picture. The big picture is the people of God are with God. The people of God are in his presence, and God is faithful to be with them and to sit on his throne and control all things forever. Now notice the description of the elders. They have white robes and gold crowns. These are things promised by Jesus. They're dressed in white clothes. This is a picture of our righteousness. 
a lot of y'all were at the wedding on Friday night. One of our deacons and leaders uh, was married uh, to one of our ladies in the choir. So that was pretty cool, I thought, you know. So if Nuno, a plug, if you're single, come to the choir or become... Uh, you might not be able to become a deacon, so it doesn't work that way. But anyhow, <laughs> we'll figure out that. But uh, Wayne, Wayne Braswell, who y'all have seen on Sunday mornings, who gives our building updates, uh, he and Cynthia Spears were married uh, on Friday night. And uh, praise the Lord for both of them uh, and for their wedding. But here on Friday, Friday night, they're getting married. And do y'all remember Friday? Friday was not a beautiful day rained, threat of rain, all day long. Well, they're going to have an outdoor wedding, okay? And, and, and when I get to the wedding, I see Wayne's like, he, I think he has seven grandkids, but it seemed like 19 girls, all dressed in these little white dresses. I mean, beautiful. And I'm sitting here thinking, if it rains, this could get ugly in a hurry, you know? <laughs> Because have you ever thought about a mom of about a three-year-old trying to keep her three-year-old's clothes clean the entire time while it's pouring down rain? Well, that's what it feels like to me trying to live the Christian life on my own. Some people believe that Jesus saves you and he puts you in these white, clean clothes and now it's your job to keep them clean. I want to tell you, I'd be like a three-year-old in a mud bath. I can't keep myself clean, but praise the Lord, our righteousness is not based on our effort. Our righteousness is based on what Christ has done, and we are kept clean by his working. And it says the elders who are around the throne are are dressed in white, and they are clean, permanently clean. And they have crowns, gold crowns on their head. In the Greek word, there are two words for crown. One crown represents royalty, like a king would wear, or like the queen in England would wear. One, which is the term that's used here as a crown for victory. It's given to a winner of an event. Basically, when the Bible says that you have this crown in heaven, it's as if at the end of the line, Jesus said, here is your crown. You have overcome. You have won. Verse 5. Flashes of lightning and rumblings of thunder came from the throne. From the throne, you hear this, this, this storm, this lightning, this, this power. It's talking about the power of God there. John didn't know how to describe it completely, but he says it's a powerful, powerful thing. Seven fiery torches were burning before the throne, which are the seven spirits of God. The torches remind us of the lampstands, the seven churches. The churches are there with God. The Spirit fills the churches through the presence of, of His indwelling Spirit in the people. Now, to say the least, John had never seen anything like this. And then the, te- then the scene gets really weird. It turns surreal. He says something like a sea of glass was there. And notice how he even uses the words. It was something like... I'm having a hard time putting this down, but it was something like a sea of glass, similar to crystal. It was also before the the throne. But then he says, and there were four living creatures covered with eyes. In in, in front, and, and can you imagine trying to write this down? In front and in back were, uh, were, were, 
where these creatures who had the eyes on the front and the back were in the middle and around the throne. We're introduced to these creatures several times in Scripture. Ezekiel chapter 1, or Ezekiel 2, right there at the beginning of Ezekiel, we're introduced to these living creatures. Isaiah chapter 6, we see these living creatures. Again, in Daniel, we see these living creatures around the throne. And here John gets a glimpse of this. Have you ever seen a being like this? I mean, sometimes when I eat Mexican food, I have crazy dreams, but I've never even dreamed anything this unusual. I mean, this is out there stuff. And he says, the first living creature was like a lion. The second living creature was like a calf. The third had a face like a man. The fourth was like a flying eagle. What, what's that mean? What, what, what is it? All of these, I believe, are symbols of power. That they're powerful beings. Uh, You have uh, a wild, powerful lion. You have a domesticated, powerful ox. You have a man who has been given dominion and power over creation. You have an eagle that soars with with majestic power over the creation and and sees it like, like, like that. And he said each of them had four living creatures. Each of the four living creatures had six wings. They were able to go where they wanted. They weren't limited like we are. They didn't need planes or cars to fulfill their mission. And and they were covered with eyes. Not just set on both sides, but inside and out. You know, all over them were eyes. They were able to see. They noticed everything. So you get the picture, right? (laughs) Easy. Let me me bring it down here a little bit. You have these all-seeing, independent... Strong beings. And what kind of job do you think they would have in heaven? I mean, one of these guys is running Neptune if I'm God, right? You know, they're going to be over, you know, some red giant out there somewhere and taking care of another star and what's going on in another galaxy. But they don't have some big, awesome job like that. They have a bigger job. Their only job, these powerful big beings, is day and night. They never stop, never stop. That's why in Ezekiel, you see them doing the same thing. In Isaiah, you see them doing the same thing. In Daniel, they're doing the same thing. In Revelation, they're doing the same thing. They never stop saying, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty, the one who was, the one who is, and the one who is coming. We might think that's not a very big job. I sing that some Sundays. The picture we're trying to paint, the picture that John is trying to paint in Revelation is that God is so much bigger than us. He's so set apart from us. If, if one of those things came in here today with the, you know, the lion head and the wings and eyes, I, that'd be it. It'd be over. Lexington would have about a thousand less people in it. You know, we'd drop over like dead men. But these powerful beings, all they can do is cower in the presence of God and saying, holy, holy, holy is the great God of heaven. They're falling at His feet. Verse 9, And whenever they start singing, whenever, whenever they give glory and honor and thanks to the one seated on the throne, the one who lives forever and ever, whenever they do this, the 24 elders, who I think represent everyone in heaven before Christ and everyone in heaven after Christ, those 24 elders fall down before the one seated on the throne and they worship the one who lives forever and ever and they cast their crowns 
before the throne and, and praise Him. The crowns that they had been given because they were victorious on earth, they turn over to God because they know they were only victorious because God was with them. And they start worshiping and they say, O oh Lord and God, our Lord and our God, only you are worthy to receive glory and honor and power because you have created all things. And because of your will, they exist and were created. Have you ever been out by yourself in an open area and just been overwhelmed by the Creator? Maybe you were sitting on a beach. Maybe you were on a boat on a lake. Maybe you were walking through the woods. And while you were there, you just looked around at creation and you thought about the magnitude of your Creator and it just brought you to a place of praise. And that happens all the time. One of the reasons that I like to get out in the woods... And, and hunt. It's not about the hunting. It's about the sitting. It's about being still and knowing that He is God. There's been so many times I've been moved to tears and just, oh my goodness, God, You are such a powerful Creator. I can't imagine that there's anything more beautiful than where You put me today. And yet that scene is repeated all over the world and all over the universe. This is why Satan tries to get us to doubt whether God created. He's crafty. And right now, let's be honest, if you say that God created something out of nothing, you're weird in public opinion. You know? If you say that God created something out of nothing quickly... Some people want to put you in a jacket that will tie up behind your back. Because Satan is crafty. Satan has tried to get people to deny the Creator. The only right-thinking people believe that something came from nothing. With no one working on it. Only, only right-thinking people that our brain works like it works and our world works like it works and everything operates to perfection by accident. Only right people think that. They think we're crazy. You know? But you know what I found? While Satan tries to convince some people that God didn't create... That's not the way he normally operates. Oh, that's the way he's operating in the minds of lost people. But you know how he operates in the minds of saved people? He tries to get you to ignore creation. Think about when I was a kid. Oh my goodness, you are old when you say when I was a kid. But if the shoe fits. When I was a kid on summer break, I would leave the house at 7 in the morning, get on my bike, take off to some adventure until 7 or 8 at night. Now, it's, we live in a pretty dangerous world now where I know you can't do that. But now we have to almost like force kids outside. Why? Because, man, I got my phone. I got Instagram. You know, I've got 
my social connections. I've got, and I'm not, listen, I'm not one who's going to like, there are bad things that can happen on all of those platforms. There's some good things that can happen on all those platforms. I acknowledge that. We use those as a church. Praise the Lord. You know, the real danger in, 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 in the technology world, the TV, the video games, the, the, the social media, you know the real danger? It has nothing to do with what your eyes see. It has everything to do with what they don't see. You, you get your eyes stuck here and you miss there. God has done amazing, wonderful things around us. We're to lift up our eyes to the heavens and see the beauty that he's created. We're to be enamored with all that he's done. And we get stuck with all we've done. And it's so dangerous. It's dangerous because his invisible attributes, that is his eternal power and his divine nature, are clearly seen. They've been seen since people have been walking on this earth, but they're only seen when you look around by what he has made. Oh, we should spend more time looking around. We should spend more time looking at God's creation. My first overseas mission trip was to Africa. You can keep your watch by the sun at the equator. Six o'clock and six o'clock. It's up at 6 o'clock. It's down at 6 o'clock. We were right there at the Sahara Desert. But they had no street lights. They had very few lights in town. And when we would go out five or six miles outside of town on a dune in the Sahara and watch the sun go down at 6, and it went down quickly. And it would go down, and the stars would come up quickly. Oh, my goodness. The psalmist's words, the stars are your handiwork too, Lord. Everything in the universe praises the Lord. And what a beautiful, awe-inspiring moment. Some of you have been on the side of a mountain as the snow break occurs and, and you see the beauty of the, the peaks. Some of you have been watching that sunrise over the Atlantic or the sunset over the Pacific. and you, All these things remind us of how powerful God is and how small we are. Our thoughts should elicit praise. Our thoughts of His creation should elicit praise. God, I thank You that I'm fearfully and wonderfully made. Creation causes us to worship God, and that's what the four living creatures are doing. They're so far above us. What I want you to realize is that when you pray and when you kneel down, that's who you're talking to, the God that they can't say anything but holy, holy, holy. And, 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 and when you close your eyes and talk, you're talking to that very same God who is over the universe. And when you come and sing, you're singing to that God. And if you'll take just 30 seconds and think about who you're talking to and who you're worshiping, it will change you forever. So what I want you to take away today. Number one, no matter how big your understanding of God is, it is far too small. You could write down the most poetic paragraph and miss the mark by eons describing how great our God is. He is above all we can think or imagine. Number two, don't ignore creation. It's a testimony to God's sovereignty. He is in control. 
as the seasons rotate, as the earth spins on its axis, as everything is perfectly in its place, it reminds us that there's a sovereign God who's in control of the universe. Number three, God is worthy of every bit of praise that we can bring him. All of our praise, he is worthy. And then four, we're called to lay down our lives for him right now. We have one life because of the mercy of God to surrender as a living sacrifice to God. I pray that you would give your life completely to the sovereign creator who loves you and has saved you and will keep you forever in his hands. Let's pray together.